series uh, called uh, Theology Matters. Big words that make a big difference. And if you were here last Sunday morning on New Year's Day, wasn't that awesome, New Year's Day, to get up and go to church? It's pretty sweet. But you heard an introductory sermon about it. You can get that uh, online uh, off our website and download it if you missed it. But um, I did a little introduction about what this is all about. Theology matters. It matters. These big words that we kind of go, I'm not into all the theology. I just want Jesus or whatever. And we're like, no, you know what? These things matter. They matter because what we believe dictates how we live. Don't we believe that to be true? I mean, we basically live out what it is we believe. So the question is, what do we believe? We should, A, figure it out, B, be reminded of it, take aim at it, and live that out to its fullest. Theology matters because the truth about God, that's what theology is, the truth about God will dictate how we live and the way that we experience the things that God has for us and the way that we serve Him. Truth matters because truth sets us free. So we said these are big words that make a big difference. They're big words, but they do matter. They make a big difference. And that's going to be our structure. So we even put this in your bulletin, and we're going to have this in every week during our series. And this is where you can take some notes. Some of you want to put those in your Bible or whatever and sort of uh, bone up a little bit on this stuff. And, and, you know, the top is big words. And our commitment to you is that we're also then going to talk about a big difference, what big difference it makes. It's not going to be just an uh, intellectual, um, intellectually oriented conceptual class we're going to move to so this is a sermon where god's people want to know so what difference does it make in my life so we've uh, agreed uh, with management that if we do not get to make a big difference and it doesn't apply it's not applicable to your lives that you can uh, have a re- full refund at the door after you leave so um, that is our, our our commitment to you guys so our big word this morning is ecclesiology have you heard that word ecclesiology Ecclesiology. Ecclesiology is the study of the church. Ecclesiology is the study of the nature of the church and the things of the church. What's the church all about is what we're going to ask. Why do we come here? What happens here? What's the nature of what's supposed to be going on? Why are you even in this room? I've actually made that mistake. Yeah, I know, super suave. I've made that mistake of actually that words have come out of my mouth when I've seen somebody, you know, at the back of the church coming across the patio or whatever. I've actually, actually said to them accidentally, what are you doing here? You know, like super warm and welcoming, right? Somebody that I've met in the community or somebody that hasn't been in church in years, and I've literally accidentally said, what are you doing here? I know, welcome, yeah. So, but what I meant, you know, it was almost more of that deeper idea, which is, does this thing make a difference? What are we doing here? You know, and I'm actually a big fan, and I have been my whole life. It's been a, it's sort of been the character the, the character of my relationship with God, not coming from a religious family or steeped in all that stuff, if it's real, I'm fully all in. And if it's not real and there's not a real significant reason for stuff, then I'm not doing it. Like, that's kind of how I've done things. And so we're going to ask the question together this morning, what are you doing here? What do you, like, what do we come for? What's this about for us? What's the nature of the church? And what difference does it make in our lives? So that's our topic for this morning, ecclesiology. And I want to start with the name, the church. I want to look at the, some of the words. The church You know, the church, that word is not in our Bibles. It's in our English Bibles, but the the Greek word that it comes from, that went to Latin, that went to Middle English, that became church, C-H-U-R-C-H for us, that word's not in our, our, our Bible, okay? That word means of the Lord. Well, it is. It's in a form. It's like the table of the Lord when it talks about communion, that of the Lord, that, that's the old Greek word church. But church just means of the Lord. And it came to mean in English and, and through our Christian tradition, it came to mean these houses of the Lord, the house of the Lord. You ever heard that phrase? 
And that's the word church, and that's cool, and that's a great word, and in our common vernacular, it's super okay for us to use the word church, but that's not the biblical word when we ask, what's the nature of this church? What's the deal with the church? That word is a Greek word called ekklesia. Now, you're all going to learn that word this morning, so say it with me. Everybody say ekklesia. Ekklesia, okay? If you're taking notes, E-C-C-L-E-S-I-A, ekklesia, or E-K-K, if you're really writing down Greek, L-E-S-I-A. Ecclesia. Okay, say that one more time. Ecclesia. Okay. Uh, Tyler, can you say Ecclesia for me? Because your dad was the one I picked on last hour, by the way. So be ready the rest of the hour, okay, bro? Because every once in a while, I'm going to need you to go. So uh, this Greek word is what? Okay. You said it perfectly, so next time do it with confidence, okay? Ready? Here we go. Go. Tyler. All right. <laughs> okay, that was kind of a C plus, but we'll come back to you. Uh, Ecclesia. This word, you want to learn this word. This word is 118 times is used in our New Testament, and almost all of the time it's translated church because that's just our English vernacular for, for, for the word. But ecclesia literally means called out ones. Ek, kaleo. Ek, out, kaleo, the Greek word to call. They're called out. But, but that's just the etymology of the word. What the word was used as, as is, is it was any assembly or gathering of people. It was a very generic, everyday word that said this group of people who have assembled themselves are a, an ecclesia. But think about the etymology of the word. They were called out to something. That was inherent in the word itself was that this group of people was called out. So it wasn't just a mass of people. It was a group that had been put together for a reason. So one of the places it's used in our New Testament is a story in uh, Acts chapter 19 where um, the disciples were there preaching and all the guys who made the, the idols that could be used at the t- worshipped at the temple were got mad because they thought that everybody turned away from their gods. They wouldn't have a business anymore. And so they put together a whole bunch of people. It was like an idol maker union got together this group, and they rioted, and they, they protested, and that group in our New Testament is called a ecclesia. It was a group called out of the general population who had a purpose. They were called out for something. It was a group of people who, who came out of the general group to go forth into something. This is, this is what the meaning of this word was. was. At the time, the, the um, general assembly, the governing civil government in Athens was called the Ecclesia. You see, it was called elected people with a purpose. Are you feeling this so far? Are you starting to get this with me? This is what, what, what this word is about. And so what happened is the church, very early on, they were called the way, and then they were called Christians, and we still use uh, at least Christians. Um, and I had a Bible in the 70s called the way. And uh, that was what they, they were called. And very early on, they started then calling themselves the Ecclesia because it was this gathering from the general population of a group to be called out for a purpose. You with me on that? And it didn't, I mean, it's kind of cool because the rest of the world was like, oh, we know what that term is, but they had infused it with more meaning and more meaning and more meaning. And in fact, there was some precedent because the Greek, you know how Greek is the Bible, the New Testament language? All that stuff's written in Greek. It was a common language back then. Old Testament's written in Hebrew. When they translated the Old Testament into Greek for those folks, they used one Hebrew phrase that was called the people of God. They started using the word ekklesia in the Greek for that Hebrew word, the people of God. So there was this floating around idea that God's people were a called out assembly. 
for a purpose. Okay, you with me on where the word comes from? So that's the word. So everybody say the word. It's ecclesia. That's the word that means church. That's the word that is this called out group of people. That's the name, a called out assembling of, uh, of God's people. Now, um, the question is, what's the nature of the church? What's the nature of this, of this thing? So I'm very briefly, because this could be a, a semester-long seminary class, very briefly, I just want to give you three kind of major focuses of Scripture, okay? And we're going to dig into some of those Scriptures as well, so get your fingers ready. Number one, the church is about Jesus. Now, I, want, there's, I wanted it to be three Ps, so you could write down the church is about the principle. The church is about the head. The church is about the most important figure in the church. And here's the Ps are going to be principle, people, purpose. That's where we're headed. The church is about Jesus. It's the church is about the principle. It's all about Jesus. In fact, the earliest use of the word ecclesia is out of Jesus' mouth, earliest chronologically, that is, uh, when he was talking to Peter. Turn with me to Matthew 16, because I'd love to have you see it. Matthew 16, and somebody give me a page number for the Bibles that are in front of you. And there's not enough of you turning pages right now. Go, go lean over, lean over, go, I'm really going to do this. 905 is the page number. There's so many scriptures this morning that I didn't want to go put them all up front, and um, I want you to be able to see them. Matthew 16, so this is where Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ. Start in verse 13, Matthew 16, verse 13. Jesus came to this region, and he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But who do you say I am, he asked. Who do you say I am? What about you? Verse 16, Simon Peter answers, you are the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. Verse 17, Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. You know you got the right answer when somebody goes, man, that came right from God. That is a godly answer. That is good. And I tell you that you are Peter, which means what? Anybody know? Rock. You're Peter. That's your name, Rock. And on that rock, I'm going to build my church, because that's how they built homes back then, not on the shifting sand, but on a solid foundation, a rock. Your name's Rock, I'm going to, and on this rock, I'm going to build my, what? No, build my ecclesia. I'm going to build, on that rock, I'm going to build my ecclesia. Now, we're not going to preach on this text about, wow, Peter, on Peter, on Peter, or on Peter's confession, or on the people like Peter, the apostles, or what what was Jesus doing? Go study that, look it up, study your Bible, it'd be awesome. But here's the point, Jesus really, really early on says, yeah, right. (laughs) Thanks, you don't have to jump in every time I pause with that word, but thank you. I love the enthusiasm, okay? He says... Jesus says, listen, everybody, you think I'm the Messiah? You're right, and I will build my ecclesia, my people of God who will be called out for me and for my purposes and under my authority and under my reign with no king but me. This is why it was such a powerful thing for him to say. This is why people started to want to kill him from the beginning of his ministry because they knew that he was going to gather people around him who would be loyal to him, okay? And the sedition and, and all that was going to happen and, and chaos was going to ensue. And that's, Jesus said it, I'm going to build my church. He said, I will have my ecclesia, my assembled people, called out with my purposes, called out under my authority. It's my church. That's kingdom, Messiah, lordship language. The church is about Jesus. It's his church. Friends, we, we sometimes think 
well, it's my church, or it's the denomination's church, or it's a branch of a church, or it's a building where people show up, or it's a, no, this is a place where Jesus' people gather. We're His people. It's about Him. One more verse about Him. Ephesians chapter 1. Dig through your Bibles. I hear four pages rustling. Good. Ephesians chapter 1, page number, somebody? 1079. Ephesians chapter 1. Oh, man, you got to look at this verse. This is so good. Ephesians chapter 1. Um, I'll start in verse uh, 18. Here, this is part of Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. Uh, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, Ephesians 1.18, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, his incomparably great power for us who believe. I just love this long sentence. This is Paul going, I hope you get the Jesus thing. It's so awesome. And it's this and this and this and this. That power, that great power that he has for us who believe, that power is like the working of his mighty strength, verse 20, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him up from the dead. It's raised from the dead kind of strength. Come on now, give me an amen. And seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. That's the kind of power we have, verse 21, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every title that can be given, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And we're talking about power that is up there kind of power. He goes, I hope you know all this stuff. And then verse 22, and God placed as part of this glorious picture in verse 22, and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the what? Ecclesia. For the ecclesia, the head over everything for the ecclesia, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. He is the head of the ecclesia. It is his church. He goes, I'm going to make my people. I'm going to call them forth with a purpose. They're going to be mine. I'm going to be their Lord. They're going to live in obedience to me. They're going to live in, in, in this society of, of my way, of my kingdom. And, I, and, and this text is telling us, and, and the glory of it is that he is the head. This is lordship. He's the head. And he's the head of that body, and he fills it with his presence. The fullness of him who fills it in every way. Come on. So when the body is present, it is about Jesus, and his fullness is here. That's why we're here. That's why I come. The church is about Jesus. His assembly of His people, His presence. Oh, we can keep going, we gotta, but we got to move on. The church is about Jesus too. The church is about people. The church is about people. A couple of thoughts. It's an assembly. That's the definition of it. It was just this group of people. It's a group of people. It's people that are here. The church is people. And I know this is like, well, I know. What are you saying? It's just, but it's not a building. It's not a set of programs. It's not an organization. It's not like a mothership that goes through space and sort of like, and we sort of attach ourselves to it whenever we want or whatever parts we like or whatever, wherever it kind of scrapes by us. This is, it's not, it, it doesn't exist in and of itself. It's us. You, you, you with me on this? It's us. Michael was telling us this week, he said he had a, a friend who was a Baptist pastor, and, and when somebody would say, oh, you're a pastor, so where's your church? You know, run into him in the grocery store or whatever, oh, you're a pastor, Where, where's your church? He'd go, uh, well, right now, they're probably, most of them are probably getting off work and, and um, going home. And you, see, you see what I mean? I mean, he didn't go, well, it's 195 North Redwood, because that's not the church. The church is the people. 
I visited Rob Bell's church in Grand Rapids when I was out there for a wedding a couple summers ago because I wanted to go see this big fatty church that uh, I hear so much about. And I go to this mall where this church existed. And it was an old mall that they bought that had been all derelict and fallen apart. And you didn't see signs like a mall. It didn't say, you know, Westfield Mall and it didn't say Macy's and it didn't say, you know, whatever. And, and there was no cross and no sign on the church that said Mars Hill Church. There was no sign anywhere. It was like this big, ugly, dumpy building in a parking lot, and the only reason I knew that it was this church is that they had some dudes in vests and they were helping parking going on. But otherwise, it looked like it was just this empty place. And I've heard him talk about this, and he said, people are so frustrated that we don't put a name on our church or a cross or a picture or a whatever. He goes, and he goes, because I'll never relent. I'll never give up on this point. That's not our church. We are. That's just where we meet. Do you hear the difference? The church is about people. It doesn't exist in and of itself. So let me add this thought to it. It's an assembly of people, but friends, I want to remind you, it's an assembly of broken people. Now, they're saved, and they're rescued, and they're spirit-filled, and they're joyful, and God's here, and they're loved, but they're broken. It's a fellowship of those who seek God, who are on a pilgrimage, who are often lost, who lose our way, who are imperfect, who are sometimes helpless and anguished, sometimes suffering this side of heaven, sometimes victorious, sometimes back and forth. This is a fellowship of pilgrims that are imperfect and broken. And I tell you that because so then also is the church if it's us. It's a pilgrim church that stumbles to find its way, that is sometimes lost, that is imperfect, that sometimes is helpless, that sometimes is in anguish, and sometimes is suffering, and sometimes this is the church. This is, it isn't other than us. And I tell you that because it, it helps us adjust our expectations because we think of the church as divine or spirit or something that is something other than us. It's not. It's us. So when I come to church with my baggage and my imperfection and my mood swings and my uh, and you come with those things and you come with those things and you come with those things, we get together and think the church is going to be something exactly like God. Well, how is that going to? It won't be. You know why I tell you that? I tell you that because people have given up on the church. Friends, there's no such thing as the church. It's us. And if you've been hurt by the church, I'm really sorry that you've been hurt by people, some people, that are part of God's gathering. But we get to become who we're supposed to be. But it's just us. It helps us to adjust our expectations. The church is about people and it's us. And where we are is the church. And the church isn't anything more than us. Now, I'm going to say something that's going to contradict that because you know where I'm going, right? And this is sort of a third sub-point to this, that the church is about people. Actually, in some ways, the church is more than just us. The church, because, as we said in that other text, the, the presence, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way is in this place. Because we do have the Holy Spirit, although I, in my brokenness and pilgrimage, have the Holy Spirit, and you in your brokenness and in your struggling and lostness have the Holy Spirit, but there's something that happens according to Scriptures when we all get together that the fullness of Him who fills everything in every way comes into our midst. Isn't that good news? So while it's still just us, there's something mysterious, the old theologians and mystics would say. 
There's something mysterious about the communion of the saints. That we commune with one another and therefore we're connecting with God in a very spiritual way. We have the Holy Spirit, so the fullness of Christ is present, and so we strengthen and encourage each other collectively. 1 Corinthians 12, you read it all about, it's all about spiritual gifts. Now you are the body of Christ, it says, and each one of you is part of it. Every single individual is part of the body of Christ. And he has given to the ecclesia gifts. Now let's read another passage about that, kind of following up on that, because we're already in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4, next page over from where you were. So in the ecclesia, God has given gifts, God-filled gifts, little parts of who God is and what he wants to bring to us. We're all a part of the body. We've been given gifts, verse, uh, Ephesians 4.11. And it was he who gave some to be apostles and some to be prophets and some to be evangelists and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, become mature, attaining to the whole measure of what? The fullness of God. When we get together and the gifts that God gives us, the grace that God puts in every single part of us, when we get together, then the fullness of God is in our midst. So the church is about people, and it's just us people. It doesn't exist apart from our people. But when we're our people, we have this fellowship, this koinonia is the Greek word. We have this communion with one another that is spiritual and links us together because the part of God that he gives you strengthens me, and the part of God that he gives me strengthens you. And this mystery of growth then happens out of this. This is the ecclesia, that we are connected on this faith journey necessarily. It's just what we are. And I have to go this far to tell you, you cannot be on the spiritual journey without being connected in the ecclesia. If it's God's gathered, called people, where because each one of us is a part of it and he graces us with his gifts in here, if that's true, then we have to be together to experience the fullness of Christ. Usually, when I know somebody who comes to me and says, I haven't been walking with God, or it's not working for me, or I'm struggling spiritually, and it's been that way my whole life, it is 99% of the time a matter of them not being connected to the ecclesia. And so the fullness of Christ is missing in their lives. You hear me? The church is about people. God's people, us, and God being with us. We can't survive unattached. Here's the interesting thing. We've backed off on that message a little bit in evangelicalism over the last 25, 30, 40, 50 years. And do you know why? Because with the rise of cults, it sounded super weird and scary and manipulative and self-serving to say, you got to get connected. You don't get the wisdom of God until you're with the other people of God. You don't have the fullness of Christ until you're with the gathered people of Christ. you got to be here and you got to be connected and people's gifts got, you, do, do you hear how our sensitivities in today's modern world kind of goes, dude, just, and we get all about my personal relationship with Jesus, and our religion is personal, right? That's, that's where we go, and while that's true, because every single one of us individually must deal with the question of whether or not we've given our lives to the service of Jesus, every one of us is accountable to that personal decision, this is not a personal relationship with Jesus, never has been, never will be. It is the ecclesia. It is God's gathered people where God's fullness is present 
when his people are gathered. So you got to be gathered. And so when you run into folks who go, yeah, I'm not really part of church, or I don't really go to church, and I do my own religious thing, I go, man, you're missing the fullness of Christ. That's what the Bible teaches. And we backed off on that because it makes it sound like you have to be here and, and legalism and manipulation and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, oh, well, you got to be here. <laughs> church is about Jesus. The church is about people. Third, the church is about purpose. The church is about purpose. Read this text from the Ephesians 3. We're still in Ephesians. Look back a few verses. Uh, start in verse 7 of Ephesians 3. The church is about purpose. Uh, verse 7. Here's Paul. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me. Oh, there's, see, there's the gifting thing. Through the working of his power. Verse 8, although I'm less than the least of all God's people, the grace was given to me. It's a very cool way to say, I'm such a loser. I was killing Christians before. Like, I so didn't get it, and now God's using me. Hello, anybody got a story similar to that? Like, I can't believe God's using me. Come on now. What a joke. It's awesome. Uh, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles, meaning to the non-Jewish people, so to the rest of the world. I'm going to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. I mean, it's so rich, this Jesus thing. I can't even begin to get it all in, he says. Verse 9, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery. Now, hang on. Listen to me. The, to, to make plain to everyone the administration of this ministry. This was Paul's, this was Paul's uh, uh, call to ministry, that he would make plain the administration of this mystery. What does that mean? It was a way of speaking about this mystery of how could we have a relationship with God himself? How was God going to save the world? And they called it, he calls it this mystery because it's a, it's a mysterious reality. It's also the answer to it was kept hidden in God for ages. The world waited and longed for the Savior to be revealed. That's the story of creation and the prophets and the nation of Israel and Jesus coming through a virgin and coming and preaching and being born. This is the story of salvation. It was a mystery, the mystery of God. You'll see the word mystery all through Paul's teaching, and that's what it's about. He goes, now I was given this ministry to make plain to everyone how this ministry was going to come about, which for ages was kept hidden in God who created all things. Now look at verse 10 with me. His intent, God, his intent, that now, through what? The ecclesia. His intent, this mystery's been hidden in ages. The creation longs for the Savior. God's intent was that now, through the ecclesia, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to all of the universe. Through the church, the good news of God's salvation finally being clear to the entire world forever and ever, that good news was given to the ecclesia to make clear. Is that not it? The church is about God's redemptive purpose in the world. Friends, he has chosen to do that redemptive work largely through his ecclesia. It's on us. It's on our church. How does God come to the world with his message of love and saving grace and rescuing? How does he do that? We know some of us have stories that, um, you know, we wake up in the middle of the night and Jesus appears to us in a dream, and, and I, I believe all that stuff. But most of the time, largely what's going on is that he's accomplishing his redemptive purposes in the world through his ecclesia, through his gathered people who are called forth as a group of his people to do his purposes. That's what we do. So when we talk about being missional, 
when we talk about loving our neighbors, when we talk about loving people as we love Jesus, it is because the redemptive ministry of God, the manifold wisdom of how God wants to save people has now come through the ecclesia to the world. It's on us. What an awful plan. What was he thinking? Right? But that's what he's done. Because he's called us. He says, you're God's household. Write this verse down. Go look at it later. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. He said, you're God's household. The household of the living God. And you are the pillar and foundation of the truth. The good news of Jesus. We hold it. And we share it. The church is about purpose. His purpose. It's in our name. We're the called out ones to be his people. All right. That's the big word. Ecclesia. This is the nature of the church. There's so much more about the church. You think about some of the metaphors of the church, the bride of Christ, the family of God, the body of Christ. There's a lot about our church, about the church. We didn't even go into the fact that we've got the church can mean big C church. I mean, like the whole world church, every Christian, in every denomination, in every shack, in every uh, temple, steeple place in England and everywhere and every Sunday all over the world, that's the church. And then you at 1045 at Marin Covenant in San Rafael is the church. It's, all, it's, it's, it's both and. There's a lot about the church, but we want to ask, so what's the, what's, what's the big difference then? If this is the big word and this is a very basic understanding of the nature of the church, what's the big difference? You ready? Finish this together. If the church is about Jesus, then I'm, we're called to worship. If the church is about Jesus, then we're called to worship. That's a big difference that it makes in our life. If the church is about Jesus, the Lord and the Savior and the Messiah, and then we're called to a love and devotion and a recognition of our mighty God who crazy saved us, who has unsearchable riches in this gospel. We're called to respond to him in a life of worship. That, that's one of the differences that it makes in our, in our lives. If it's about Jesus and he's the head, then I'm a worshiper at its core. I mean, friends, you could never serve Jesus your whole life. You never have any opportunity. You could, but if you missed being a worshiper of understanding the value of who he is and what he has done, then you miss it all. He is our Lord and we're worshipers. When you see that passage in, in Ephesians that we just read, all those you know, amazing good things, then you see other phrases in here, verse 14, for this reason I kneel before the Father. I mean, that's a worship word, right? It's like this unsearchable riches of Christ. So I get down on my face before God at the end of that passage, verse 21 of chapter 3, to him be glory in the church. We come and we go, you, we're giving you the glory that you deserve. This is your glory. This is who you are. This is what you're worth. This is your value to me. And we, as, as, as um, underneath the, the head of our ecclesia, recognize all that he's done. We are first and foremost worshipers. We respond to his value and to who he really is. This is what we do. Glory to him in the church. Glory to God for who he is. You look, in, look with me in Revel, at Revelation real quick. Revelation, it's the last book in the Bible. Have you been in Revelation lately? Okay, if you haven't turned to any other passages, you better hold on. Put your seatbelt on and turn to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4 is a picture. It's a picture of what's going on in heaven. There's a whole bunch of symbolic stuff going on here. And if you're intimidated by Revelation, just look out. This is just going to knock your socks off. 
but it's a picture of the worship that happens in heaven, basically. Because, the, because what's happening is there is a clear view of who He is and a clear view of the power of His creative abilities, a clear view of His salvation, of his, a clear view of all of it, and they go crazy in worship. Well, I'm going to skip through real fast. If you've got it open, go with me. Verse, uh, chapter 4, look at verse 1. So here's the, here's the vision that John has. After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven, and the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here, I'm going to show you something. Come on, I want to hear that voice. I want to show you something. Verse 2, once I was in the Spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. I'll tell you that someone is. That's the Lord of the Ecclesia. And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, a rainbow resembling an emerald. Okay. Encircled the throne. It encircled the throne. Now, look at the words encircled. And surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. And there's a lot of pictures in here. There's pictures of at the center was the head. This is about Jesus. And everybody was around him. But look what was around him was 24 thrones. You know what the 24 thrones represent? 12 Old Testament saints, 12 New Testament saints. What it means is all of you who are his people, the gathered people of God, the true believers, Old, New Testament, all you people of his, your gathered people, okay? So this is us. So watch carefully who the, what, the, what happens to the 24 because that's me and you. They're dressed in white, crowns of gold on their heads. Remember you heard you were going to get a crown? Well, there they are. But from the throne comes flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. This is the sevenfold spirit of God. Um, Okay, hard stuff. In the center around the throne, this paragraph, were four living creatures. These creatures, they represented all of creation, basically, is the short version of this. They're the ones saying, holy, holy, holy. Verse 9, whenever the living creatures who give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, that's that's the name they were using for Jesus. Him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever. Verse 10, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne. They're worshipers. When they know who God is, they're worshipers. This is Jesus' church. We become worshipers. And they worship him who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne. And they, do you see that picture? They lay their crowns before the throne. The crowns you get for living a faithful, obedient life and serving God. The crowns you get as a reward. The elders who in the end go, oh man you know what, you're worthy of my crown. I'm taking my crown off. I'm going to put it at the feet of the one who saved me. Come on. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory, honor, and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created, and they have their being. And then I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll. Now I'm just going to zoom through. I'll tell you what this is. This now is a picture of the salvation. On this scroll is a contract. It's the new covenant with God. It's the new agreement of the grace of God exhibited through Jesus. It's the salvation of all people. It's the mystery of God kept hidden for ages. And the picture in heaven is that there was this throne and everybody in heaven is saying, who, I mean, sorry, there's this scroll. And everybody in heaven is saying, who can open this? Who can open this? Who's worthy to open this? There's nobody worthy to enter into this relationship with God, to open up this new covenant of grace and love. Nobody can accomplish it, right? And so they wept and they wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll. Verse five, then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. For the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. 
He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And I looked and saw a lamb, and it looked as if it had been slain, sacrificed, and it was standing in the center. It is about Jesus, my friends, encircled by the creatures and the 24 elders. That's us. And he had seven horns and seven eyes, etc. Go on. And verse 8, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Verse 9, and they sang a new song. You're worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you bought us you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and you've made them to be your people your kingdom and priests your ecclesia to serve our God and they will reign on the earth and when they saw the clarity that the lamb could open the scroll and bring salvation for the whole world verse 11 I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000 and they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders and in a loud voice they sang worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise and then it ams up and then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever and the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped when we see who he is and that he is our lord and our savior and our master we are people who worship and the question is friends if you are part of the ecclesia do you worship or do you go to church? Because they are entirely different things. And that will make the most fundamental difference about how you live. That you are one who says, I see the value of who you are and what you have done. And I will bow down before you and give you every ounce of my will and my heart and my obedience. You are everything to me. Everything to me. The church is about Jesus. And so we're called to worship. And that is a big deal. Will you come focused on who he is and what he has done? Will you steep in the word of God so you understand the salvation that he has brought and the beauty that he is? Will you come ready to confess that he is the greatest thing in value and everything else that grabs a hold of your heart are false idols and worth nothing compared to him? Are you ready to be that kind of an ecclesia gathered people? Then we worship. That's a big difference. That's a big deal. And I'm out of time. Here's the other two. The church is about Jesus, so I'm called to worship. The church is about people, so I'm called to fellowship. You know what fellowship means? It means you're connected. The body of Christ is like the family of God. You know what happens with your family? You can't pick them. You're stuck with them. And so you take responsibility for them, and you get connected. Right? The church is a fellowship, so we're called to connect with one another. Are you connected to the body of Christ enough that it matters? It matters. If the answer is no, then you call one of the pastors this week. You get in touch with somebody you know that's in a small group. You show up at Sunday school next week. You start getting connected. If the church is about us connected in the fullness of Jesus is in our connections, then we get connected. And third, the church is about purpose, so I'm called to stewardship. That's a good word, stewardship. Think this. Think this word when we talk about stewardship. Think obedient and responsible for my part. That's what stewardship means. If we're about God's purposes in this world, his redemptive ministry, stewardship is what's my part 
I'm all in. Responsible, obedient for my part. When we see the word stewardship, we often think of music. I'm sorry, money. And the answer to that is yes. Because God is so committed to this plan, by the way, that he's using us and his redemptive purposes in the world that it even takes our money to accomplish them. What a stupid idea. So what's my part? But it's not just money. It's gifts and it's calling. Because where he's put you and who he's made you is your part in his redemptive purpose through our gathered body and out. If the church is about purpose, then I'm called to stewardship. What's my part? I'm a worshiper, I'm connected, and I'm responsible. Michael, do you want to come or do you want to just, let's, no, let's not. I'm sorry. If you want the shorter version, get the first service uh, CD, okay? Why don't you stand? I'm going to give you this blessing. The word's a big deal, friends. It's a big word, ecclesiology. It's a big word because it's a big deal. We're God's gathered people sent out for God's purposes. So receive this blessing. If it's true, then it's going to set us free. And the truth is, the church is about Jesus So be free to worship him for he's worthy of it. If it's true that the church is about people, then go and be free to make connections so deep that they matter for you and for them in the body of Christ. If it's true that the church is about God's redemptive purpose, then go today being free to play your part, to do your part in what God wants to do in the world. If it was another sermon, I'd say, worship, serve, go, grow. May God bless you as you become the ecclesia again today. Go in God's grace and God's peace.